What's going on, guys? Kieran Headley here from the Pocket Coach Podcast. So today I'm here with a good friend, a really good friend of mine. His name's Pernell. Now, Pernell, yo, yo. <laughs> uh, now, um, Pernell is such an incredibly diverse fellow. Um, he's grown up in America in the black community. He's uh, he actually started studying an exercise science, became an exercise scientist. I met him over in Bali where he was doing his coaching. He came away from exercise science and he started coaching people to better themselves, utilizing uh, spiritual practices and utilizing intuition and really going inward. And now he's actually writing a book called Objective Empathy and he's just done a book tour and he already is still six chapters away from completion and he already has many people wanting to buy it. So I'm very excited to introduce a really good friend of mine, Pernell Bobby. And uh, yeah, please, um, please introduce yourself a bit, mate. Thank you. I appreciate you. Uh, yeah. Yeah. This is kind of an honor in my own way because I remember, I remember being in Bali listening to the Pocket Coach. I think we were, you mentioned her name was Lena? yeah lana yeah lana mm. i'm sorry lana yeah and i remember mm. seeing that and i was like man this guy's doing some cool stuff and, and her interview is awesome and i really caught myself Thanks, listening man. in my home and i'm not always listening to uh podcasts and things like this but when i do mm. it's gonna be the pocket coach i guess <laughs> yeah uh, totally totally and um what i really love to uh speak on a bit um on top of the fact that you're actually in colombia right now which is so cool um i do actually want to dive into at the start of this interview into what it's like living the, uh, living a life as a black man in america because over here in new zealand and um, many of the listeners over in australia as well it's honestly it can be a bit of a foreign concept to us uh to hear about such uh, segregation in that sort of culture because over here there's a lot more inclusiveness it's just part of life it's like we see the Maori and the islanders is just part of us we don't really see this as segregation or, dif- or too much difference really however and then we hear that all this difference is going on it's really mind-boggling and uh it's really sad it's really really sad so if you're open to it man i would love to hear how that situation was for you to hear about it, uh, the chaos that was going on, how you perceived it, and also how it, how it's been living your life uh, almost segregated simply because of your skin color. Sure. Uh, mm. For starters, just to paint a picture, mm. I and most like every other black American male, black American female, we don't know a dif- there's a difference. Like there, there is no different world. Mm. You know, there, there is no world without racism. To the to the point where, yeah. I mean, at least myself, when things would happen, I didn't even look at it as racism. I just looked at it as mm. this is life. This is just this is just the way wow. of life. I never saw or really dived into like, oh, that person's racist. You know, they did blah blah blah. You know, if mm. I get pulled over by a cop, and you know, when we get when we go through these natural fears and we go through the, pr- the procedure that you kind of learn, AKA like, you know, start recording your phone, but don't record the cop in his face to make him or her angry, kind of tuck it in your seatbelt area and just let that be your backup. You know, don't let it be your primary option because again, that's just mm-hmm. going to infuriate that cop Which some people, right. I can tell you they have pushed that limit and they, and they did it almost in a bragging sense. 
which obviously didn't end well for them either. So, yeah. you know, you kind of got to just be wise about your steps. But, I mean, overall, I never looked at any of it much as racism. I, I, I'm almost surprised that the whole world is viewing this as racism, even though I can honestly mm. accept it as this is what it is. You know, when I'm, log- when I'm using my logical brain, I know that this is what it is. But when you're growing up in it, quite frankly, as a kid, it's like, you know, you, you're taught racism. You know, you don't, you don't grow up wow. racist. You don't come out the womb and just like, oh, these people are racist. You know, these are not your thought yeah. process. This is not your thought process. So, I mean, ultimately, it, it, it's just I'm 29 years old today. Not today, but since April. And uh, hmm. that's my life. So I didn't know anything different until I left the U.S. about two, three years ago. And now, you know, I'm meeting so many Europeans and when I seen some of the differences of what they viewed as struggle sometime, I started to kind of blink and I was like, it was just different. I mean, everything was different. Yeah. I mean, what I viewed as struggle and, and then you oftentimes just end up being quiet because you start realizing like, man, this person has never seen somebody die. Man, this person wow. has never been in a fight. Like, how did you make it your whole life and you've never been in a fight? And mm. that's just crazy to me because even outside of racism, you know, part of what that environment does is it creates anarchy within your own people so wow it's not like you're fighting the cops too often but yeah you see this as well and you know eventually you do see this stuff you know you do see cop cars rolling by with bullet holes in them as well because i mean eventually people get fed up and that's just the reality like that's just my that's i see that in the daylight i'm at a gas station you see three bullet holes in a cop car and i was like man you know i wonder if that was last night or they just didn't get the door fixed yet (laughs) you know it's just like i'm not really thinking too much about it like that's just the way um so i mean it's tough because you know for a fact that you know you don't condone violence i know myself for sure i don't condone violence at all you know but Mm. i can tell you that there is a point where eventually even if you're not the one partaking in that violence up front you, you start to kind of want to turn a blind eye because you're like, I mean, well, what else are we going to do? Like, right. no, one, no one knows. Or we think people know, actually. We don't think that the world doesn't know. You know what I mean? It's like you have to almost look at it as like most people in black communities, they've never left their hometown city within a 20-minute radius. They roll around the right. same place. You know, and... You know, there's my and there's a reason for that. Is that just because it's the, it's the way it is or is that out of fear? what's that out of i think is a is out of a a lack of understanding what's possible i mean part of part of the systemic racism that that's occurring is is to limit the mind the best way i can describe this is what they do for elephants an elephant can knock down a tree or walk through a house but if you catch an elephant young and how they trained them young to be slaves basically is catch them when they're born they'll take a single rope that the elephant can literally walk and break um, and they'll, they'll pin it into a stake in the ground. So the rope's wow. not strong enough to hold the elephant, but the elephant thinks that he's restrained when, it's, wow. when he has all the power. No one can stop the elephant. It takes too many yeah. people to, you could shoot the elephant and it's gonna live, you know? Um, but that's how, that's what it is. So it's more a matter of like, kinda, you, you grow into it. It's just, it, like I said, it's systemic racism. And I'm, I'm starting to understand right. that this is a new term to many people, but um, mm. it's not it's not to me. It's not to people in our community. We've, we've known our entire lives, but it's almost like you, you're the elephant with the, with the rope around your neck and you don't know mm. that 
you can do any and everything. You just don't know. Yeah, and this is actually, um, thank you for bringing this up, man. I remember actually walking down the beach with you over in Bali and you're actually educating me on some of the some of the crazy things and this isn't crazy either it's but to me it was crazy because it's something that i had not heard since in history i'll hear all about like certain historians being white when really they weren't uh and that's just part of it right and then i'd hear about you know these certain aspects of your life that are still happening yet we were told that you know racism and slavery is completely eradicated that doesn't exist anymore it doesn't affect lives anymore but it really does doesn't it there's still a big effect that's trending into life now so i'd like to like to speak on that a little bit quickly actually um a little bit about i know shakespeare is a big one um, i remember you mentioning shakespeare and also about uh the fact that slavery is still even though it's not obviously you know there's not obviously slavery actually happening in a really loud way. However, it's still the it's still bleeding into people's lives now, isn't it? Of course. The effects of race, um, slavery. Mm. Abs- absolutely. So, do you mind speaking on that? On 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 what exactly? What's the exact question? Just so I can be clear. Um, on how slavery is affecting uh, the modern day life currently for sure. Yeah, sure, for sure. Black I, people I in America. Oh, I understand. I understand. And also, I want you to comment on the fact that um, uh, that Shakespeare was black, right? <laughs> Which is crazy. Yeah, that is crazy because I didn't know that. Wait, Shakespeare? I did not know that. I just found out right now. Shakespeare was black. Is that Wait, what? I thought he was, wasn't he? Oh, I don't. I don't know. We might have to hit that on the Google search because if if that's oh, true, man. that's crazy to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh wow! I, yeah, I, I actually, did, I, didn't, I, I, didn't I really want to. I tell you what, I'm I'm literally googling it at the at the moment because that would be super interesting. Um, but slavery in the modern day, yeah. Oh, I don't know. It looks like there's a couple. Of, nah. <laughs> no, this is no. Nah, I don't think so. No, 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 no. Okay, this wait. Song. No, it wasn't Shakespeare. I can't remember who it was, but there was a certain historian. Uh, definitely not Shakespeare because he's a writer. <laughs> right. But there was a certain historian uh, that went down um, to be white. However, was betra- I'm sorry, was black, but went oh, down in history oh, as white. Oh, 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 I know. I don't know the name, but I do know what you're yeah. talking about. I know exactly what you're talking yeah, about yeah. because there's actually a picture, and I remember. I think they even like altered the picture at a point in in history. That's right. I think that yeah. picture was actually. I don't, I don't know, know who the person is, but but that that you're talking you're talking deep into slavery you're talking into the roots before yeah. they were in america so i am familiar yeah. with the story um and they and they did their best to this person this black man was a was a genius and mm. they just they did their best and it's kind of what modern day is like as well they did their best to to mask him because he was already widely known through enough in that period whenever that was that it was kind of like it's difficult to hide and so I think they actually like, they just tried to paint him as a as a white person to to cover the history. I don't know the name, but maybe one of your listeners will figure it out. But yeah, how has it transformed from, you know, the back then to now? Um, essentially, the it, it it turned into more. We have science today, right? So yeah. you, we can study the human brain. So at a point, all you knew how to do. I could tell you, when you first would break a black family apart, you would look for the head of the household. 
And that's why black men are so targeted because they were considered the men of the household of any household, the head of the household. Just like historically, right. I think even in, in any culture, in any culture, I don't really know too many cultures where the woman is considered the head of the household. So the world yeah. already has it jacked up because, I mean, I don't know your beliefs, but I mean, there's nothing stronger than a woman, period. So, oh, absolutely. You I, know, I can definitely agree with that. So they already mm. got it wrong. So that's, that was the first mistake because that's in every culture. That's just wrong. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah. I'm not even going to comment on the Bible, but just if Jesus was anybody, it'd be a woman. You know, yeah. I'm go. I'm gonna go as far as to say it might even have been a black woman from Africa. I'll yeah. go that far. Yeah. But you know, instead it's the polar opposite. So, you yeah. know, how has it transformed? Uh, at a point, physical violence was was the way to make a person feel powerless. But there was an actual system to the John Lynch system, which is kind of like some of the beginnings of it. And what they would do mm. is they have a family of four. Let's just say a man, a woman, a daughter, and a son. And they will publicly hang the man considered as the head of the household, break that person first, upside yeah. down by the by the genitals, and they'd hang him on a rope by the genitals, which yeah. I don't even know how that didn't make the person pass out from the beginning. And then yeah. they'd rape his wife in front of him and the kids. So now you humiliate the man and you you know sodomize his wife. And then as that happened, now they'd whip the man who was already broken, and then they'd make sure that the mom would see that the kids were split. So one kid would go to one slave wow. home, one kid go to another slave home. So this is also another problem that people aren't speaking about when it comes to black families in America that they still deal with. Most black families, their siblings are not connected from a generational standpoint. Wow. Like you can have a sister, and I could tell you this about my own sister. And it's, I think mm -hmm. today, even before this, you know, it's something, it's a very tough work in progress because you know you're supposed to love your sister because it's your sister but mm. there's a disconnect and you don't fully understand why as i grew older i started recognizing that it goes all the way back to these deep-rooted systems the children were broken wow. apart from the beginning so there was never an opportunity where siblings grew up to be siblings so beyond the fact yeah. that you know you're supposed to love them you have some sort of a lack of like nurturing towards them you you treat them maybe a little bit better than a stranger, but at the end of the day, generationally, the children were split. And this is why siblings really bash heads in the black community. Um, and they, they lack a certain nurturing, a certain love beyond, I yeah. think I'm supposed to love you, right? Um, and so it's almost somewhat like that for the mother in a way, because in, every, in most cultures, like especially Africa, if you take the African woman, the boy or the kid sleeps with the, the parents up until like, I think like 11 to 16 years old sometimes. Oh, wow. So okay. what that does is it creates an electromagnetic energy that the parent and that kid is always connected no matter how far the kid go. The kid can go to New Zealand. The kid can go to Africa or to America. And the mother always has an extended um, electromagnetic connection. Now, every human has mm. this up to 10 feet. Every human, without being kin, yeah. without being related. So now you have a mother that sleeps and has the child sleep in their room or their bed up until such an age. Um, you see why that connection could be matured over time. Over that time, that, that energetic, that electromagnetic energy of heart energy spreads very far. But again, 
this is something that they knew in a way and they split that energy. They had to split the mother. Um, so the mother still is a lot very connected to the children because she still gave birth to them. But the kid may yeah. not be as connected because they, they were split generationally. So they didn't, the kid didn't birth the mother, right? So that's another thing that would happen. And then now you ship the, the wife off, you ship the kids in two opposite directions, you send the man to do slave work. So that's how they originally broke the family in the beginning. If you go to modern day, how do you break the man in modern day? Um, they started getting, they started teaching black people how, how to hate themselves. And they started teaching black people how to hate being in their skin. I actually had a, I had a, I actually had a white woman one time ask me uh, who I was dating. She said, do you ever wish that you weren't black? And I remember, I remember being so shocked. I was almost like, I was like, and I liked this girl too. I had really liked her. And I was like, in my mind, I smirked out on, on uh, uh, like externally I smirked. And I remember thinking like in my head, I was like, did this woman just ask me if I prefer to be white? Cause that's kind of how it came wow. out. I was like, did she ask me if I prefer to be white? And I think you know me well enough to know that like, I didn't, I didn't spaz out, I didn't get angry, none of, none of this stuff. I just, yeah. I had the conversation. And it was an intense yeah. conversation, but I'll be honest, to this day, I respect this human being, um, you know, in her, in her own ways, in, in my own ways. You know, we have much love for each other. I have a lot of respect for her. Mm -hmm. So um, that's not to take away from that. But this is like the first week of our relationship that this conversation came out. So it was, mm -hmm. I was like, what? So it was definitely more of a heated, intense moment. Um, and, 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 but I was able to still articulate myself very well in that moment and just say, there's no way in the world that I would rather be anything other than a melanated human being. Um, wow. Because, I mean, the melanin, wow. it goes so much deeper than the color of your skin. I mean, it goes into the capacity of your brain, the, the yeah. strength that you possess, the speed that you have. It goes into all the attributes that makes, basically, uh, people want to use black uh, species, the black species as specimens for sport. This is one of the yeah. reasons why. Yeah. It's the, it's the melanin. capabilities, right? It's the melanin. Mm. The capabilities in mm. the melanin, literally. Yeah. Um, and right. so the researchers, they found this out. They found this out a long time ago, back before um, Europe was even in America. They found this out long ago. And even when they, America began and what happened with the research and the science, they started making sure that no black scientists would ever make it to the, to the yearly council. So these are some of the ways that they were take the power in modern day even the ones that were like excel outside of their their standard bracket outside of what they're supposed to be capable of or supposed to know at least that they're capable of and they would never invite them because they figured out this melanin secret there's a doctor Afri africa lila lila africa and he's actually one of the people within my company the institute of life who's a, an extended acquaintance and he's mm -hmm. an older man kind of in the same bracket as a dr sebi if you know Dr. Sebi. Um, and basically, these people are, they're scientists. Dr. Sebi is the guy who is, um, he's curing cancer. He's curing HIV, but we can't cure HIV. But he, he was doing it. And a lot of Americans, a lot of Europeans were going to see him in Honduras. And eventually, they called I him. I remember you telling me about this. Yeah, I told yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So mm. eventually, these, and this is some of the ways in modern day. Because you only get a certain few outliers of black people that will kind of stand out because so mm. many of them are like the elephant that's pending to the large masses. I mean, I almost want to say 95%, you know, 
you've got a very few, let alone to leave America. I mean, there's only 33 to 35% of Americans total with a passport. You can best believe that yeah. that's a very small percent or 1% of black people that have a passport. Yeah. So with that yeah. being said, America as a whole are, is on a leash like the elephant as a whole. So it's just that much more restricted in the black community. So that's how yeah. in modern day it looks because you, the cameras, uh, I remember there was a time I was face down. I walked up to the cop with my hands up to ask him for help. And I was scared shitless. Excuse my language. I don't even know if I can curse on here. No, no, you can but say whatever you want, mate. Thank you. Mm. You know, I remember just being scared out of my mind. And I was trying to, I was 24 years old. It was my birthday. And I was trying to flip Why were you approaching him in the first place? Because my friend got thrown down the stairwell. Whoa. So, I'll be honest. Naturally, how I wanted to respond and what my instinct said is, mm, take this dude out. <laughs> yeah. I'll leave it. Yeah. I'll leave it there. Take this dude out. But I just remember going through a process in my mind. I was like, man, I'm flipping in a leaf. You know, I had a shirt and tie on. I had like the breast piece suit. I had the nice shiny shoes. I went out spiffy. I had a scarf on. I was looking good, man. And it was, I was, <laughs> it was like nine. It was like nine p.m. We were the first people mm. in the club. It was nobody in the club. Nobody was there. Mm. And I'll be honest, my friend got way too drunk, and so we got kicked out of an empty club. <laughs> because well, he, th he threw up in the he threw up in the bathroom. He threw up in the bathroom. Yeah. So, you know, that's partially his, on him, right? So we leave. They kick us out. We leave. But he left his phone. He left his phone. Mm. And so he's like, I gotta get my phone. I was like, bro, I don't know. I was like, let me get it. He's like, I need to get my phone. And you know when you get your friend in that in that certain drunk state, you're like, look, I can't stop him right now. He needs to get his phone. We're gonna go back. Yeah. So we go back, yeah. they stop us at the bouncer door. And uh, there's like he can't go in there, and I was like, okay, I tell you what, and when they when they said that he can't go in there, I'm telling you they they roughed him up by the collar with both two hands and they put him up against the wall, and I saw it in his eyes oh. and I was like, this guy one my friend was already a hothead, if he was in that state, he was the calmest person you would ever meet until he was in that state, and I saw him yeah. and I was like, okay, take it easy, and normally I'm the hothead at that point in my life, yeah. I was the hothead back then to be honest. Yeah. And so people were usually stopping me from acting crazy. But, you know, you go forward and I was like, look, I'm going to go to the bathroom. I'm going to get the phone. I go, I mm. get the phone, we come back. That's it. We're leaving. But before we leave, the bouncer just, for no reason, he just threw him down the stairs. And I was like, Whoa. we did all that. I got everybody in here to calm down and I'm the hottest person in the block. Yeah. And I'm the only one that's trying to be calm right now. And the guy threw him downstairs. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to continue my comm in the moment. I'm going to approach the cop who's right in front of me. And I'm going to report this crime. <laughs> right? I was like, I'm just going to report this. Because, wow. okay. Yeah, we, we like literally like nothing. We did nothing except for he was just too drunk. Yeah. So I approached the cop with my hands up. I remember he ignored me. And I remember just like Whoa. wanting to piss my pants because he had the black gloves on, which is already a bad sign. Because when the cops have black gloves on in our neighborhood, it basically means that they're down to do something dirty that night. And that's just a common Whoa. thing. Yeah, when they have the black gloves on, it's almost like it's kind of a universal sign. Just leave him alone. So okay. he was in the car. He had his windows up and he ignored me. And I remember sitting there maybe for like another 60 seconds. 
and I just left my hands in the air held high and I was like officer I would like to report a crime and I repeated it again and from there I'll be honest I finally got mad and I, I blacked out because from there from that moment well, of me acting again with my hands up officer I'd like to report a crime all I remember was I was face down with a taser in my back and his knee in the back of whoa. my neck yeah so why so it definitely opened up some wounds when I saw how this guy, George Floyd, died because he died with a knee in the back of his neck. And I had that same yeah. knee in the back of my neck with a taser in my back after asking the cop for help. So I'm like, oh, you know, everything in the middle was just blackout for me. I was, just, I, was, yeah. I was enraged, I'll be honest. I was in pure rage because I'm like, how? All I could comprehend in the moment is how does one ask someone for help to end up face down in the gravel? Wow. And I knew beforehand to not go up and approach him. I knew beforehand to handle, this is how we grew up. You know, you handle your own business. You definitely don't ever ask the yeah. cops because they never do nothing. If anything, they're the ones also making it worse. So you handle your own yeah. business. And, you know, it's one of those moments where, like, you really wish, like, I wish that, because if anything, if the bouncers and I fought, we would have fought, we would have wrapped it up, we would have all went home. Yeah. Everybody went home. You know what? You got your hits in. I got my hits in. If you lost a fight, you lost a fight. And the way we grow up is, you know, if you ever get into it, you never start a fight. How we grew up, at least in our community, you never start a fight. Don't ever pick a fight. Mm. But if someone ever picks a fight with you, you got to lay them down. And it's kind of just the yeah. rules. It's the rules. You lay them down. Because if you don't lay them down when you go home, now your uncle, your mom, and everybody else is going to beat you down again because you lost in the fight. And it was, Whoa. believe it or not, that's like one of the ancient ways and it was more of like a survival tactic because it was almost like you're going to get into the scenario where you're going to have to fight for your yeah. life most times. So believe it or not, in some sick, twisted way, that was the rules growing up within our community for two reasons. One, because we were taught to hate each other yeah. from the beginning of slavery. We were taught to hate each other. We were taught to fight each other. We were taught. In what ways were you taught to hate each other? Um, uh, how was that? Important? So in modern day and past times, it's very different. In modern day, it's, it's like yeah, a status. Let's talk thing, modern day. Right? Stat status. Mm -hmm. Somebody has sneakers and you can't afford sneakers. No one that you know can afford sneakers, but this guy got nice sneakers, right? Mm. And, you know, now you fight that person for that person's sneakers. Or this person has a gold wow. chain. So now you snatch that person's gold chain and you dare them to do something about it. And. Either they do or they don't. And so now it's like, from what I understand, you know, it's always been respect. And it's like, as soon as somebody disrespects you, you pretty much lose your dignity. You lose your status. You know, yeah. you almost like, you almost, it's almost like being in a corporate job, being a VP and someone saying, I want to be the VP and I'm going to fight you for it. And if they win that fight, they mm -hmm. become the VP. Wow. That's like animal kingdom. It's animal That's kingdom, bro. And you know, yeah. I, 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 I joke around because when I travel, you know, and I'm around, I leave it very broad. And you said something that made me trigger that. I, I, I think, and I don't usually say this much often because it's like I get, I started learning that people didn't understand. And I was, I yeah. just had to remember that like, like, damn, man, like we're from the jungle. I'm from the jungle. Like wow. in, in, the, in the most literal sense, like you just said, animal kingdom, like it's the jungle, bro. It's, wow. it's, it's doggy dog world, period. That's just... Yeah. It's just doggy dog world, period. Um, and that's just what it is. So, you know, you do your best to just kind of stay out of trouble. That's really your better option. Stay out of trouble. If you got a good parent, basically, you know, now you have to, your parents are trying to lie 
to the school system to say you live at an aunt's house or even they'll put a random house to be making sure you get into a school area that you can get a, a diversified education. You can get an education where you actually have pages in the book. Because I've actually taught classes where we don't have pages in the book. I'm like, how can I teach this kid? And there's 70 pages missing in the middle. What is he supposed to read? And every book has different pages ripped out. So how can we all learn as a class? So, you know, that's part of part part of the jungle. That's part of the system. Try to get your kid whatever you got to do, even if you got to lie and go to a house just to say, okay, this is 69 Broad Street. Okay, this area. Where is this? Where do these kids go to school? Oh, they go there. And then you would you would lie. And so mm. back in the day, I mean, it was very tough for the schools to really know, oh, this person doesn't really live there. Right. Modern day, more and more time goes by. You can start. They start catching on. But by then, a lot of black people already integrated into some of a.k.a. the wider communities that got a better education. Um, yeah. And that was kind of part of your escape from the jungle. Otherwise, it was drugs. It was sports, which we know are both very small outlets to win. Or it yeah. was it was death, so you die. You right. sell drugs. You play sports, or hopefully your parents did well enough to get you into some sort of education system, which was highly difficult. Wow! And that that was really the only options. Those are the four. Wow. Those are the four. You know. Wow. You know, I look at it today, and I, I see I see certain people telling me, you know, they've been reading since like six years old, and I think about them like I didn't read a book on my own outside of school until I was twenty two years old. Wow. I was 22 years old, man. 22 years old. Wow. And it's like... Wow, actually, I, I really want to take a moment right now, actually, and let people actually just reflect on their own life, reflect on their own struggles, reflect on their own ability to actually create choice, create that sense of freedom in their life to actually be able to not just go overseas, but even read a book, to be even actually able to create an educated choice of what you want to do, of where you want to go, of uh, how you want to approach life going forward. And listen to Pernell uh, just now, honestly, man, you, you, you've honestly inspired me so much just listening to the experiences that you've had and really deeply going into the choices that you had and how you've actually come out the other side of this and, and created such <laughs> such an inspiring lifestyle of living in Colombia now, you're writing a book, you're, you've been to Bali, you've been to, um, you've been to Thailand, you've been living in all sorts of different places, you're learning Spanish, you're, you're, you're creating a whole new life for yourself that's just completely away from the, the, what would um, be normality. I mean, for someone like myself, a privileged white guy to go overseas to Bali, that's already extraordinary. But for someone that has grown up in a black community like yourself, uh, that's been taught their entire life that this is the way. To actually go about and do that, that's that's beyond words, man. I'm I'm so inspired by your um, what you've done for yourself. So thank you for doing that, and thank you for speaking on this. Yeah, man. I mean, it's pretty simple. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. Know? So actually, what I'd love to touch on, really, because I feel like this would help a lot of people, is for um, from going from that experience, going from that place of feeling imprisoned by society to actually starting to uh, almost pick the lock in a way and start mm. to create your own freedom. You did that. Sure. So I want to hear what you did, how you did it. Um, a little bit around that, if that's okay with you. Sure, sure, sure. I mean, so yeah. for starters, I, I really need to give both my parents a massive amount of credit 
right? Like, awesome. Um, my dad, my dad was in the military, and I really didn't know him very well, to be honest. Uh, I would say even to today, I don't know him very well. You know, it's really unfortunate, but outside of from the time I was born and can remember, I mean, I think there may have been a total of like, I don't know, 11 times that I've seen him in real life. You know what I mean? So that's a dynamic. But with that dynamic, that's more fortunate than most kids. That's more fortunate than most kids, um, at least in my community, because that did allow at least some financial freedom for uh, for my mother, right? And for for us, me and my sister, because the military, they didn't have as much of this. To, it, it was very difficult to discriminate from the financial standpoint within the military, at least, yeah. right? So yeah. he was able to provide for us very much financially in that way. Um, other than that, you know, how did I do it? It was my mother. I mean, I pretty much grew up with my mother and my sister. And um, just to see her, just to see her never quit, you know, being an empathetic person, I always knew, you know, there's things going on, right? I was old enough to see that, okay, she got a divorce and, you know, our dad's not here anymore. Uh, and with that being said, I, I always, I never seen her do much anything else but work quite frankly. And right. like, that's it, you know, where you, you have to stay with your cousins or your aunts while she's at work. So that's a whole nother life. That's a very common lifestyle. Or you got to stay home alone before you're ready to do that and learn how to cook and learn how to clean and learn how to feed my sister and make sure she gets home from school. Uh, so little things like that. So a lot of what happens is you kind of lose your childhood in a way, at least from a what you think is a normal childhood, which I don't know, quite frankly, like this is my normal childhood. So I think it really starts there because with all that work, eventually she did get us to move um, a lot. We moved a lot, but, you know, she she did what she needed to do to make sure that I and my sister were in better systems. Um, so I was always in more diverse systems. I didn't I didn't grow up racist. I didn't grow up pro black. I didn't grow up pro white. I didn't grow up pro anything. I grew up looking at people for people. I never I never viewed anything that happened to me as racism. So I think that's a starter. So that was the the big fortunate piece. And you know, Come from on. a baby, she told me I was going to college. So I never knew anything wow. different than I was going to college. So that was in my system from the beginning. And she was a very nurturing mother. Almost quite frankly to Was me. that from a place of of hope? Was that a, or was, was that a place from a place of certainty from your mother at that point in time? I think it was a place you know? from she knew a world much worse than I ever knew, and she knew what she didn't wow. want us to live in. You know, like I love that. My grandmother was a Black Panther fighting the KKK. You know, just to just to give wow. some perspective, which is her mother. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, and with yeah. that being said, I know my grandmother. She she's been molested along with the majority of my family. You know, and so my mom is somebody that knows this and she wanted to make sure we didn't know about the, the physical abuse that happened even within my family or to know about the sexual abuse to happen even within my family or to know about that's just like a, a, a start. Right. Let alone racism or grandma fighting KKK or being pimped out. Right. So yeah. she didn't want us to know any of this life. And I think that was the motivation for her because she realized how much trauma her and her four other siblings went through. So with that being said, she did her best. And, you know, I was able to see that um, as though I didn't know, and she shielded us from much of it growing up, including things like music videos. She wouldn't let us watch music videos. 
So a lot of the stuff that's stimulating, that's how it's happening in modern day. They stimulate the black community through music and through videos. Yep. And they'll show basically black men disrespecting black women. So it really starts wow. there with the, uh, with the ass shaking and the stuff like that. They always basically downgrading their queens. And right. thankfully, I never watched this stuff. So you, you, these are the modern day versions. And what they'll do is they'll pick a good kid, an honest kid from the hood who just wants hope, wants an opportunity. And they'll give him a million dollars and they'll say, listen, we're going to give you these lyrics and we need you to say these lyrics. And the kid goes, but I don't really live this life. He says, but you want this million dollars? And they go, yeah, I need this million dollars to help my family. He says, so you need to wow. say these lyrics. And so now the kid is living a life that he's not really living, talking about gangs, guns, violence, sex, disrespect, you know, repping different cliques or sets. And he's lying, but it doesn't matter because the wow. image, you know, America is the number one brainers in the world. So the image shows people a reality that's not hit that hit that kid's real life. And now they give him a yep. couple of tattoos, put a couple of chains on him. He looks the image. And wow. So basically, America's painting this picture of this is the way you've got to live if you're um, if you're black skinned. This basically, is if you're cool, this is how you, this is what you chase. You chase money. And so wow. the problem is by the people chase the money mm. for so long that, you know, they don't know anything different. They never got an education. And meanwhile, because they're mm. worried about how are we going to eat today? You know, um, you get sick of eating oodles and noodles. You get sick of eating bread with no butter that's not even mm. toasted, you know? That's already killing you because they're feeding you. The number one genocide for the black community, number one and number three, is through food. So in our communities, Whoa. they put the food in the liquor stores in our communities, but if you go to a white community, you can't even buy the same types of food. You can't even, wow. there's not even a liquor store in the area of the white communities. So uh, any money that people come into, they put it into the drugs. They put it into the, the alcohol. Mm. And, they, and not only that, but they create what's cool so what's cool is to drink hennessy which is ironic because it's a french cognac but if you go to france no one drinks cognac especially not the hennessy kind no one mm -hmm. knew, most people don't even know what hennessy is but hennessy is a very expensive cognac so now you got them not even buying the cheap liquor you got them buying the expensive liquor that they can't afford so they're poisoning themselves in so many other ways not just physically but mentally spiritually and yeah. they get them to basically invest any money that they come into into killing themselves. Wow. Wow. And then from all this, man. How did I come up? Somehow you've. No, yeah, exactly. How did you create the freedom from all of this, from literally the entire of the society, the country that you're in, that you've grown up in? Uh, even though your parents were doing what they could in order to create hope, in order to create that freedom. Sure. So, so basically, you, you had to make that choice. Basically, like mm. I said before, my mom she she put college in my mind from a kid, and so eventually, somehow, yeah. I actually made it to college, and uh, wow. that was a surprise almost because I remember for a long time thinking I would never live past twenty two, and uh, I was really committed wow. to that thought. But I went to college. And, you know, college is, I think, what did it. And I really didn't want to be there. I didn't care to be there. I, I really hated the concept. I'm, I'm really big against just programming and conditioning, which also is also yeah. all I've ever known, right? So for me, it was all about um, breaking the program, breaking the conditioning. And I think yeah. for me, what really did it was um, going to college. Eventually, it wasn't until my junior year, senior year that I actually was grateful 
that I went to college. The whole beginning, yeah. I was like, this sucks. This is stupid. I don't want to be here. I just didn't yeah. like it. Um, and plus, yeah. I didn't have anything that I loved there. And eventually, I found exercise yeah. why, science. Why didn't you like it? I think because it, it almost seemed like I didn't have any other choice. And I feel like innately in oh, my soul, I, I felt like my soul was different than, than what I was told that I'm supposed to do. And today, I can yeah. see that through, through different... I can see myself as a highly spiritual person. And today, mm. you know, it's the things like meditation, it's the things like healing someone's injuries, you know, with, with a physical touch or even with just my words. You know, I've learned and I can heal with my words. I, really, I can heal with my, my, my presence, just being in someone's area. Mm. I realize that their spirit gets healed. So that doesn't really fit with college, you know, but I didn't know any of that back then. Um, so yeah. in the beginning, it was like I hated it because it seemed like it was a, a forced option. And it was like anything else that I wanted to do didn't seem like it was good enough. And so eventually yeah. I just went to school because that was what made my mom happy. Um, but yeah. I can look at it today and be highly grateful because, I mean, it, it showed me things that I never would have known existed. And it showed me a world. Basically, what happened is I was able to see. I don't really like to say it like this, but I was able to see Caucasians in their element and how they lived. Yeah. And it was different than what I lived. And I started realizing, like, why are they lives so different? And it was just wow. so strange. It was so strange to me in a way. And my high school had that diversity as well, to be honest. But college was like a whole new level because now I went from a diverse high school where, okay, there's just as many black people as white people, as Indians, as Asians. To now I'm in yeah. college and it's like, oh my God, everybody's white. Like, it was like a culture shock. Like, what is going on? And I think what mm. did it for me was eventually I ended up liking exercise science. I picked it by accident after changing my major three <laughs> times. And I came across mm. it. I really felt like by accident. But I was grateful for it because my grandmother died from uh, kidney failure. And I've always blamed the hospitals. But going through that major exercise science, it changed my life because I realized, like, she didn't necessarily die from the doctor. She died because her health was bad. And what I didn't yeah. know then was she died because her health was bad because this is the environment that she was given in a way, yeah. right? Or at least stolen from her own land and put to this land. So now I can start seeing the bigger picture. And ultimately what did it for me at the end of the day, I got the, I got the knowledge, got the education. Life started to kind of look up. But uh, when that happened, it was, uh, it was my sister's birthday and I got fired from my, my, my first job, like the real job that I had. Like from college, like, oh, snap, I'm a degree. I'm an exercise scientist. And I remember getting fired from that job in my mind, wrongfully, but that's cool. Um, basically, what happened was, um, what happened was, uh, sorry, the light just came on, just got me off guard. What happened yeah, was, okay, um, I, I, I started to recognize my power. I started to recognize my power. And my bosses were, he was a millionaire. He was a millionaire, quite frankly. Yeah. And I knew he was a millionaire. And I put myself around him because I was like, this is the first millionaire I've ever met in my life. So I put yeah. myself around him. I was like, I want to learn what he learns or what he knows. And I start mm. learning business. And when that happened, I start recognizing, oh, crap, I can do something with my life. And eventually, wow. I started transforming that company just how he taught me to do. And I grew it wow. very fast, very rapidly. And he had the money to make it happen. But, but I had the soul. I had the, the heart to yeah. to connect with the people and when i saw how i could connect with people that was the first platform that showed oh snap and uh eventually he recognized like wow i needed this guy and now i need him to be gone because he's gonna take over the hearts of the people and it looks like he already wow. did so he fired me 
And uh, wow. So on that same day, uh, it was my sister's birthday. I remember like <laughs> kind of feeling like I was spiraling. I was like, oh snap! I just lost my real job. Like my my the whole job. Like in my mind, it was like I was told to go to college my whole life to get this job, and I just lost it because I was good yeah. at what I do. What am I supposed to do? Yeah. Am I supposed to like what do you do? And it was almost like this reverb of like don't express your power because if you do people will shut you down and people in this instance was the white man to be honest without trying to be too aggressive like that was yeah. it was like you know and if you look there's a philosopher back from the 1600s and they asked him what do you fear most about um black people and he said of them learning their true power and coming together and you know it's some of the education to see why a white man is so scared of a black man that they try to imprison him and then you start wondering, well, what's the why? But eventually that same day, my sister's birthday, I watched I watched a man die and four shots went off. And it just hit the wow. it, it hit the cat for me. I was like, that's it, man. I don't want to see anybody else die. And I was like, the guy died arm's length from me, in between me and my roommate. And it's like, this is this is senseless. Like, and I look at it and you know, I watched his I watched that man's I hope this isn't too gory, but this is the reality yeah. that I feel like every time we get to this part. You know, everybody wants to turn around. And this is this is what I think most black people are afraid of today, that the world sees what they see today and then they're going to do what naturally happens when it gets too, too real. And they, they turn their back yeah. and they go, yeah. wow, like this really happens? Like, yeah, this, this is every day, actually. And they're like, no yeah. way. And we're like, and then no one wants to hear more, but this is the reality. And I looked and I watched that man's eyes and I watched... I watched, you know, his his blood leak from his mouth, and and I was like, yeah. "Wow, man!" And and I I remember feeling like a guilt in a way because I felt like I could have saved him, but I also knew the, the the way of the land, and the rules were, by the time that shot went off, if they really wanted to make sure somebody was dead that they needed to die, they're gonna roll back around, and I calculated about sixty seconds before they drove Whoa. around that entire block to shoot again, and I was like, "Wow!" I either could try to save this man who looks like he's gonna die. Or I can get my roommate out of here and be grateful for my life tonight. And I chose my roommate yeah. and I felt a certain guilt behind that. And these are some of the psychological terrorism that you go through with these decisions wow. because that's a split decision. You got to decide, like, do I try to save this man who I don't know, but he's dying? Or do I just try to save myself and make sure that my family sees me tonight and make sure my roommate sees his family who I also know? And that's a decision that wow. you got to make. Bef- without and it's a decision that no human should ever have to make. No one trains yeah, you for that. You stuff. to make that. Who trains you for that? Yeah. Where's yeah. the training for that stuff? You know what I mean? Like, exist, who mate. trains you how yeah. to respond? You know, what morals or ethics class can get you through a, a situation like that? Yeah. So that was it for me. From there, I, I committed. I spent seven straight days in the library every single day, and I would bartend at night. And I, I, four days later, I booked the, uh, my first trip. My dream at that time was to go. Um, I always wanted to go global, but I was think I was a little scared. California was also a dream. I'm from Connecticut, which is six hours away and two hours from New York. Six hours on a plane mm-hmm. to Cali. And four days later, I was on a plane to California because I was like, look, I could have died. And it was way too yeah. real. It was way too close. And it happens way too often. And I saw California and it was the spark that lit the match because... Wow. When I saw that people lived the way they lived in California and it felt like racism didn't exist there, which I never really considered yeah. racism, but it just more so felt like black people weren't discriminated 
I think the reality yeah. was because by the coast of California is so expensive that a black person usually can't afford to be there. But yeah. beyond that, um, I saw the life and I came back home and I was like, I don't care what it takes. I'm going to I'm going to live here. And it took me wow. about nine months. But I remember I actually <laughs> had one hundred and twenty three dollars in my pocket. And I remember I went back to California for seven days to a conference and I went to a fitness conference within my major of exercise science and being around these mm. people I just I just dived in bro I really just dived in and I was like I need to know everything that you know because the man that fired me from that job I knew he was a billionaire millionaire I don't know which one really he had a lot of money and you know we were popping up locations seventy thousand dollars per location and to me for a man to just drop seventy thousand dollars whenever we're ready to open another one that was a lot of money right yeah um and, and, and I knew enough because I was in charge of the, of the books and I started learning how to operate with a profit and loss and I started learning how to make sure I kept the light bills down. So everything that I grew up in to save money as a black man, I did for this person and his company that maybe no one else would have did. So I was able to make the bottom line really jump high because he promised me a certain percentage once I got us out of the negative, which was about $16,000 at that point in time. And I saw myself raise $16,000 doing something I loved for somebody else. And then I I did it because I was like, oh, I'm going to start collecting 5% on the bottom line. I need to do this. So I got it out within months. And he was like, how did this kid Mm -hmm. do this? And I was like, I'm just doing what you taught me to do and I'm using what I know. Yeah. And uh, that was what it is, you know, after that, spent that seven days straight in the library. I built the Institute of Life, which is what you now more know today. Um, And I just wanted to connect people. I felt like everybody had a talent. I felt like everybody had a gift. And I felt like the world is is big and I needed to connect everybody. I needed to Mm. make sure that everybody unlocked because I realized at that job that I lost that I had a special gift to get people to really know themselves at the end of the day. And I don't know how to explain it. I just always knew it as like, my friend told me, he's like, well, what are your three skills? And one of them was energy. And he's like, okay, well, monetize that. I was like, well, how do you monetize energy, bro? Like, yeah. what does that mean? And eventually I found out, found out what it meant one day, you know, I found out one day. But that's the, that's the full scale, you know, it was, it was that seven yeah. days slaving in the library, man. That's because I, I was- that, was- that was courage and decision as well. That was a lot of courage, a lot of decision. Uh, and a lot of commitment and this factor of there was this moment a turning point where you saw this guy dying in front of you and you made a decision then and there uh, from that moment that uh, you're going to pursue something greater and and you did that that's huge huge man and I want you to speak on that just briefly Um, it doesn't have to be that specifically just in general the life that you've lived uh, what would be some three lessons Right, three lessons that would come to mind that don't need to be the biggest lessons or whatnot, but three lessons for people that are in that place where they're feeling stuck, they're feeling immobile, they're feeling uh, unsure of how to continue, they're feeling confused, they're feeling lost, right? Like you were at one point, and they're needing, they're wanting to make a decision that's going to help them actually grow and become a better human. Now, what's three pieces of advice that you can give to those people if you're speaking to your younger self, for example? Number one is you don't need money. Beautiful. That's number one. $123, bro. I went to the most expensive states and also places in the world. $123. San Diego. How did you get by at that point in time, food and living wise? Uh, I I, I got by the same way I got by growing up. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah. That and, and this is why this is why when that I remember my girlfriend at the time when she asked me, you know, do you ever wish you were anything but black? I was like confused. I was like, why would I wish that? Like Yeah. Cause when yeah. I see that was already in Thailand when I was dating her, right? So when I'm looking at it, I'm like, Yeah, I have every skill that most people don't even know exist. I can survive with nothing. Yeah, I see. Okay, Absolutely so, so you really learned that. Nothing, bro. I don't yeah. nothing. And and then even with that, I can still give. And that's my second one. Give even if you think yeah. you can't give. Even if you feel like you wow. can't afford to give, give. Give, 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 yeah. give, give. Because we need yeah. to keep the currency flowing through yeah. with life. You know, it's not about giving money. I didn't have money to give, but I knew what it was like to eat from a trash can at a point. That's not because I had to eat from a trash can. That's because it was strategic to save money to eat from the trash yeah. can. Yeah. You know, I'm watching people throw away full meals. I remember I used to work at a restaurant. This is more so when I was working at a restaurant, making tips and stuff. And I'm watching mm. people take two bites and throw their meal away. I'm like, is this person crazy? So I'd yeah. take that burger right back out of the trash can, take a knife, cut off the part that he bit, and I would eat. Because what would that wow. do? Now that takes that almost tripled the money that I made in a night from tips, because now I don't have yeah. to spend money on eating food. Wow. So you know, I'm not talking about giving. You don't have to have to give money. You know, it could be something silent. It could be something silent like giving a prayer. You know, when I left you in yeah. Bali, uh, I remember. I remember. I actually read it in my journal. I wrote your name in my journal before we met, and I was like, hmm. I want to spend time with somebody that matters. And I remember thinking, like, who's that gonna be? And I was like, Karen, and I wrote your name. And then I called you. And we went to that last yeah, restaurant on the that. beach in Kuta. Right? Yeah. And so we met in Kuta. Really well. And that and that's what it was. So and with that being said, like I remember giving you a prayer as I went away. Cause I remember you came home from wherever you were in Europe. And I was like, Yeah. Um, hope I'm not spilling your business, but I was I remember saying, like, man, Key, I remember you look tired right now, dude. And I was really tired, yeah. You see what I'm saying? And I just remember praying yeah. for you and being like, you know, I hope you get some rest, whatever that takes. And I remember saying, like, I hope you don't let Bali consume you because I felt like there was a certain superficiality behind it. And I yeah. recognized what it started to do to my energy, even though I didn't realize it at first. It was like this glamour, these lights almost that like, it's like Hollywood, bro. And it's like, oh, yeah. you made it, you know? But that's not to say that's a bad place. Let's just say it's a place to be mindful of where you're at. And uh, totally. so one, you don't need money to start. I thought I needed something yeah. to go. And if I knew better, yeah. I would I wouldn't have went to Cali. I would have went straight to Asia. Yeah. I would have took what I had yeah. and went straight to Asia. And I would have I would have made it last a lot longer. Yeah. Um. So two, just give give what you can. That can be a prayer. Yeah. That can be money. That could be a shirt. You know. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I, yeah, found and I feel like this also, mm -hmm. I just want to speak on giving as well briefly, because this is actually such an important factor that I had to come to truth with, which was when I wasn't giving, not only is there a spiritual factor of karma there, um, what, what you put out will eventually make it its way around, right? Uh, also, the factor of the psychology side of giving is a huge part to that. When I wasn't so giving because I was so worried and so scarce with my money uh, at one point in time in my, um, in my entrepreneurship journey, what I started to notice was that with that limiting sense of belief I created because I wasn't giving, that limited my ability to grow my business. That limited my ability to be able to think I could charge more. That limited my, my sense of worth. 
So because my sense of worth and my sense of abundance was limited, I wasn't able to scale my business. I wasn't able to grow financially and I wasn't able to grow out of that place where I felt stuck. So giving has a, such a beautiful factor of not just the spiritual factor of karma. Uh, it also has a really profound factor of uh, psychologically improving that sense of self-worth, right? Sure. Sure. Yeah. No, I feel you on that. That's, that's major, bro. And I, yeah. I had the same because, you know, growing in this environment, you, you get stingy almost, right? You're like, yeah, I need every little penny to make sure that I can eat. But even when you're not at that wow. point anymore, you still think like that. It's like, in, so it helped me at a point. And also, even when I had money, it hurt me because now mm. I was stopping the currency of life. I was stopping the flow of life while not wow. giving also means that you can't receive. You don't even know how to receive. So that's another problem with a psychological terror. It's like no one knows how to receive. So right now, yeah. that's what's happening with black people in America and why they so, seem so crazy. They don't know how to... I see so many people trying to help from all over the world and I see black people almost thinking, I don't want your help or, you know, find another way. And it's part of that greater responsibility is that they don't know how to receive because no one has ever helped them. So speak on that for a moment, okay? As a white Caucasian, um, what what do you think is the best thing that they can do in order to support the movement that's going on? Sure, I mean, I think opinion. one of the one of the major things. This is a really good question, and I've been I've been kind of conversing with some people here and there. I think at the moment, right now, um, there are a lot of things that I can say, but I think at the moment, the best thing is just to let time go a little bit because emotions are so mm. high. Emotions are so high. You know, you have two different people that's trying to empathize from two different worlds because yeah. black people aren't able to empathize with white people and what they're going through because it looks like, from what I can tell, and, you know, again, like, I really, one of my best friends is, is from Germany. And from what I can tell, it's like, she and a lot of other people that she know they're struggling from what I can tell. And I don't know, I can't, yeah. I can't tell you that I know what that struggle is like you know, but I see that a lot of people, millennials especially, seem like they feel like a lot of guilt, even though they had nothing to do with the, the system, even if they played a part of it unconsciously. So I think for the moment is for everybody to just chill out and be patient and stop looking for some grand solution right away. Because when you're 15 years old, you know, you tell yourself one thing, but when you look back, you know, as you're 27, what would you tell yourself? It'd be completely different. So I'm not saying to wait that yeah. long, but I'm saying for starters, just give everybody time. Give everybody time yeah. and learn how to detach, to not take it personal if someone curses you out because you, you almost have to like rationalize for a second. It's like these people have been stripped from education, from everything. So yeah. they don't even necessarily know how to receive. They don't know how to be helped. They've never been helped. They don't know how to actually articulate their words for if they do want help, how to how to accept the help or how to ask for it. They don't know how to articulate because these people aren't even reading books, bro. They're not writing. Yeah. Some of their basic liberties were snatched from a generational standpoint. So it's like, I actually had a friend tell me this from Cali when I talked to him and he told me, he's like, man, I'm so angry. And he's such a loving person, bro. He's one of the loving people, the most loving people I know. He's actually half black, half white, but he looks black. Mm. So he got the black treatment his whole life, even though he had yep. different privileges that he admitted to because he was half yep. white. With that being said, he said, Pete, we need you. Because I didn't know about this situation until three days ago, bro. I just found out because wow. I just that much off the offline. And I got on Instagram yeah. 
and I'm looking, and I'm like, what the heck is happening, bro? I didn't even have the stuff, the apps, the news. I'm in South America. I'm not getting the news, but I just yeah. kept getting messages from people telling me I'm sorry, telling me I hope you're okay. Wow. And I'm like, what is wrong with everybody? Like, I haven't even <laughs> talked to you in six months, you know? <laughs> so it's like, what are you yeah. doing right now? And then eventually I get online, I recognize, and my friend told me, basically, he said, man, we need you on the front lines, P, because I'll be honest, like, me talking to you, I know that we need you because you can, you've seen both worlds and you can articulate what's mm. happening. He said, quite frankly, I wish I could. He's like, but right now I can't. And I'm just angry. I'm just mad. Yeah. I'm mad. He's like, I'm mad as hell. He's like, you know, and, and that anger, it, it doesn't get you very far. You know, I really trying to yeah. help black people right now, realizing that that anger is not going to get you too far. Eventually, right. you know, if you keep spitting on the hand that's trying to help you, they're going to rescind it. And then you're not going to have that support, but you need that yeah. support right now, whether you know it or willing to accept it or not. So what do you tell people or what can white people do in the moment? One, mm. just be kind. What can black people be in the moment? Stay still and stay still. No music, yeah. no Internet, no people. Let their let their body hit homeostasis and reset to its natural rhythm. It's it's nurturing rhythm. Black people by nature are compassionate and nurturing human beings. Yeah. They I have love and respect to the highest respect. But they lose track You're of that. A beautiful example of that. They mm. lose track of that though. Like if you look at the African, the African who has not, you know, or who has still maybe stayed in their homeland, it's like these are the people of the highest capacity. Yeah. In the world, but we lose touch of our of our roots. So for black people just to stay still and stop screaming, stop yelling, stop looking at the media. And for white people in the moment, be patient. And, you know, <laughs> I can't tell you much more, but just to be patient and try to be kind and try to be empathetic. And when you try to no, help and somebody slaps perfect. your hand away, just just try not to take it too personal. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's anger behind that. And that's justified anger. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And, it's, and it's anger that yeah. the biggest people, they don't know how to express. The only way yeah. they ever know how to respect anger is to hurt someone this is what we were taught yeah. we were taught to hurt people in our anger right yeah and if we don't and if we this, don't want to hurt people we hurt ourselves yeah and it doesn't yeah, happen this has been massively educating man you know what i mean like yeah. that's not and we're not even hurting through violence all the way but hurt people hurt people so it could be an emotional trauma black women you know we're not talking about this much but it's like the emotional the emotional distress that comes from a black woman to a black man is god awful it is god awful the black woman is so out of touch with herself and she almost has like spite for the black man right it's really bad but she doesn't even know that that's not her real nature that's not her nature yeah. she was taught that no different so they have their own yeah. version it's less violent from a physical standpoint with them but I mean, think about it. Every one of your ancestors has been molested by a white man. Yeah. Yeah, the psychological trauma is just as strong. Yeah. Psycholo psychological, emotional, spiritual. Yeah. You know, you, yeah. you, you're, you, you're being violated, bro. I don't know what it's like to yeah. be raped. I don't want to know. And I don't need to no. be raped to know that it sucks. But I still don't understand what that does to me because it has not happened. You know? So beyond that, quite frankly... To, to look into the education reform, to look into the reform of the justice system. 
the whole the whole yeah. social system quite frankly the whole social system needs to be erased because i was in the teaching system i was in the school system and i didn't last long at all because i was like i'm not going to get anywhere if i can't even let the kid read the page that he doesn't have in his book yeah How, what am i supposed to teach him and then you got to stick to curriculum right so it's like i got out of there fast i was like i need to, it, it taught me early that i need to teach people how I need to teach people. And it's not one plus one equals two. You can learn that on your own. I'm going to trust you to learn it on your yeah. own. But when you're ready to, to know yourself, to understand who you are, to understand what you're capable of, then you come see me. Yeah. That's how I can help. And that's that's on my own accord. I can't respond to nobody okay. telling me this is the curriculum. No, forget that. Forget that. Because that's only, I'm not going to help you program somebody like you tried to program me. Forget that. Mm. Forget that stimulation. So invest mm. into the, the, the justice system, the social system as a whole, and invest in black businesses, you know. Give them a chance. Yeah, I like that. that awesome. That's how I look at it, you know. Do some research on yeah. what's a black business and, and invest in this person. And don't do it, don't yeah. do it out of don't do it out of you feel this guilt or remorse like you should, but do it because that person yeah. seems like they can actually offer you something that you would actually buy yeah. from a fellow peer. It's got to be genuine. For it sure. has to be genuine because I'm yeah. seeing people reaching yeah. out saying, Yo, I'm big on this. you know what I mean? I need to diversify my platform. You know, can I take yeah. photos of you and your wife? So you only want to take photos yeah. of me and my wife so you could diversify your platform so that you can make sure you don't look racist? Come on, man. Yeah. That hurts. Yeah, this is this is huge. And I just want to briefly say this because this is actually, a, um, this is speaking big to uh, white people is the fact that uh, just because someone says this is what you should do, that's a big no-no. Take a moment, reflect. What is it that is actually needed? Mm -hmm. Find that within yourself because that's what's going to be the most effective way of action going forward because you're going to mean it. You're not doing it because you should now. You're doing it because you know that it's going to make a difference. Exactly. That's what's important. Yeah. Exactly. That's very important. You know, so thank you for touching and, on that, man. Massive. And, and, I, and I'll be honest, within the, within the black circle right now for communication, don't reach out to somebody and say, are you okay? That is going to make them so mm. mad. And it's happening at yeah. an all-time new rate. And it's happening out of confusion. Yeah. We're confused. I'll be straight up. I yeah. was so confused, especially me being offline because I didn't even know what was happening. I was so confused. Yeah. I didn't think nothing of it. But when I looked back and yeah. realized, oh, wow, everybody's hitting me up because this guy died. But in reality, yeah. it's like, you know, when he died, I, like, I heard about it once, but you're kind of numb to it because like another guy died. It's almost like, yeah. okay, another guy died. And it's like, oh, this one actually made it to the news. That's rare. You know, mm -hmm. like, cause, yeah, that's true. because the guy that died the night next to me, I watched the news for a whole week and he didn't make it anywhere, bro. I didn't see him yeah. anywhere. I searched for yeah. him. And this is happening constantly, right? Um, mm -hmm. Mate, just just more because because of time um, restrictions, no, I do want to actually tie this up. So I, because... Um, I really want to point this out because I think this is going to really sit really well with a lot of people is the way that you have been able to navigate through your life by going against what is even it's not even against normality. It's just against what is done. That, that is just the way it is. And you've gone against that completely. You've completely turned on it's on, it on its head and you've been able to find the sense of calmness peace and joy within yourself that 
is so abundant that when I meet you, I genuinely feel so much lighter. When I'm with you, I feel so much so much more joyful and so much more free. And it's that's just such a profound gift that you've created for yourself. It is absolutely incredible. So I want you to speak on that just briefly, just before we tie this up, um, because I do actually need to um, ju- um, jump off very soon uh, on how one can actually step deeper into their joy, how one can step dip it deeper into their, uh, the peace within themselves. How is, how is that? Um, so for you, for, for me, it was, it was mentors, man. Mm. Like, you know, right. I had to seek the type of education that I wanted for myself, not that was given to me. And I had to seek mentors. Some of them I had to put money into some of them just did yeah. it because they did it. Uh, yeah. seek mentors. You know, look at people that are better than you. Look at people that are at least in the craft that you want to be in and just learn, bro. Because to be honest, you know, I'm going to say this straight up. Like I put myself when I learned some of the secrets about what's happening after losing that job. I put myself around as many educated white people that I could find. And that's not saying that there's not educated black people. I'm not saying that at all because obviously there's plenty. I am one of them. Right. But to put yourself in the environment i went to every free networking event that i could go to and i study yeah. sometimes i look at myself back on video and you know i have people ask me this question and i show them a video i show them a picture and i say look at my face and then mm. you see this one black kid surrounded by hundreds of white people and you look at my face you look at their face you see the focus in my eyes it just me it means so much to me quite frankly to make sure that i make a way for myself because it's not just for myself like, I understand that I'm one of the leaders that's going to change the entire history. Without George Floyd yeah. and this type of attention, you know, I didn't, I didn't have to be a martyr in this situation, you know, and I'm honestly want to just give him a, a you know, just a thanks. And that, yeah. that sounds crazy, but like, I understand he's a martyr and, you know, I don't want to show a lack of sensitivity. Uh, but I, I will say that, you know, without him in this moment, a lot, without this spotlight, you know, I my approach is definitely a longer a longer route. You know, I'm affecting one mm. soul at a time, and mm. but I know that that one soul, much like Socrates, he's never wrote anything down in his life. The men that he mentored is who told his story. So yeah. I know that for me, it's like I just accepted this that posthumously, I'm going to be awarded posthumously for the impact that I did for people. And mm. if I had anything to say, it's like, you know, don't look for the accolades today. You know, don't don't yeah. look for the shine and the status. Just help somebody and don't have to don't don't overthink. How can you help them? If you if if you somebody told me energy is my currency, I had no idea what that meant. But what did I do? Yeah. I just decided to be my energetic self and look at it today. This is a year or so later from when I met you and I'm on a podcast that I happen to write on my vision board. Like, I don't want to run my own podcast. I want to be a guest on other people's podcast. Because I don't want to have to deal with it. I just want to talk, spread the word, and keep helping the next person. Um, so get a Man. mentor and put yourself yeah. around the people. If you want to be an, a structural engineer, but you don't have the money for structural engineering, go find structural engineers and say, how can I help? And do it for no money mm-hmm. if you have to. It doesn't matter because you're gaining yeah. something that's worth more than money. Money is not the only currency. Language is yeah, a currency. This is true. And if I had to speak for the black community, I would say switch your language. Your language is what did it for me the most because you know what? I wouldn't survive in these environments if my language wasn't on point because they would look at me like I'm some ghetto hoodlum and they wouldn't have accepted me. And they didn't accept me anyways, but they didn't need to because 
my language was on point. So they don't, I don't need mm. no one's acceptance. It's like, look, I can play with the big dogs and I can do it better than you, but I don't even need to show you that I can. I'm just going to do me. Yeah. Yeah. Mate, yeah, this has been absolutely fantastic. I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for not only the energy, the, the beauty, the joy, uh, the calmness, the awareness, uh, and the education that you've brought this podcast, but the, the amount that you bring that to other people in general when they when they cross paths with you so thank you for all you do man and um just yeah last but not least where they, where can they find you man my youtube that's that's where i want everybody yeah. directed pernell bobby p-e-r-n-e-l-l-b-o-b-b-y subscribe to my channel It'll be in the Drop show that notes, bell. Guys. i'm mm. on my way to a thousand subscribers i'm getting closer every day and yes sir this is my creative channel um so mm. beyond that just to say you know toodles to you i want to say Thank you very much for allowing me to, to voice my, my thoughts, my opinions, and my emotions Huge. on this channel because right now this is what I feel. This is a therapy for black people that they are not receiving yeah. in many ways. For me today, this is therapy. To actually have somebody that wants to spread this message is incredible. Yeah. And I'm going to do the best I can to make sure, like I did even before I was on your podcast, that people hear of this yeah. podcast. Um, Thanks, man. And that's just how it goes, right? Like I was spreading your yeah, podcast yeah. before I was on your podcast a year ago. And that's when you wow. give up front. You somehow receive on the back end. None of us could have knew this would have happened today. And, you know, yeah. you blessed me. That's how I view this. You blessed me, my culture, and the people that are struggling right now. So I just want to say uh, and give a tremendous thanks, dude. Thank you, man. That, that means the world to hear from you. It genuinely does. Thank you. Bless up. Yeah. Yeah, no, all um, bless up too, back to you. And um, yeah, last but not least, <laughs> you got me off guard there. Last but not least, Objective Empathy is the name of his book. So yeah, stay tuned for that. When do you think that'll be out? So I got about six chapters left. Right now, I am scheduled to finish on June 12th. Um, and with that mm. being said, I'm thinking about one to two months on publication. So I'm printing it in Spanish and English. It will be in both. So I'm guessing I'd never, this is my first book. I'm guessing four months that I can actually have it to the point where you can go on Amazon and you can buy this. Yeah. And just so you know what it is in a brief summary, this is really the the journey of a boy's life. I'm going to give you the inside scoop. It's actually my life, whether you were able to figure that out or not. It's my life and everything <laughs> that I just talked to you about here. But mm. without without it ever being about a black boy's life, it, you, you, you don't even know this really, quite frankly, through the whole wow. book. It's almost more like the alchemist in its own way. But it's learning yeah. how to how to navigate spontaneous living using empathy that's ultimately what it is around the topics of money love and not conforming to society which is a lot of what you heard today not allowing money to stop me you didn't hear much about my love life but <laughs> that's complicated i guess <laughs> and uh <laughs> you know come. not conforming yeah. you know but learning how mm -hmm. to live spontaneously letting empathy which is what we need most in the world right now to help you yeah. navigate these waters yeah yeah this has been absolutely fantastic. Once again, thank you so much. Be sure to follow this absolute gentleman, uh, this absolute lad. I've learned so much from him. And as you can hear from all the lessons that he brings, that he's learned, that he's teaching, uh, it, he's just such an abundance Woo! of yes, um, compassion and, and, and joy <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and energy. He's so vibrant. Uh, so such a brilliant guy to even just tune into, um, whether it's on YouTube or Instagram, uh, also his book as well. So all that'll be in the show notes below. Be sure to subscribe to The Pocket Coach. Share this with those that you feel that will help because especially during this time now, this 
message is going to help so many. I guarantee um, that it's really going to uh, touch many people in many different ways. And you can even believe uh, if you give them the opportunity to really turn into some of the messages that Pernell's actually spread. So yeah, thanks once again, guys. Stay blessed. Much love. Sing